Welcome to the Global Robotic Assisted Surgery Podcast, or GRASP for short. We release weekly podcasts featuring insights from leading surgeons and other surgical professionals. Our host for today is Professor Hitendra Patel, who is a global key opinion leader in robotic assisted surgery, telesurgery, and editor-in-chief of the World's Journal of Clinical Oncology. We hope you enjoy the GRASP podcast. Welcome to the Global Robotic Assisted Surgery podcast. This is Professor Hitendra Patel, and I'm happy to invite all the viewers today to listen to our global expert, Dr. Mark Solomon, who's a robotic expert in colorectal surgery and more. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much, Hitendra, for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Um, so, Mark, at the beginning of our podcast, we just um, a lot of the people who watch, they love to know how you got to the top. Um, and so could you just tell us your, just a short pace of your journey to get to where you've got to right now? Yeah, I don't know about being at the top, but I do appreciate the, <laughs> the, the compliment. No, so I, um, I have always had an interest in technology, computers. And of course, uh, interest in working with my hands and in surgery. So after I graduated uh, my general surgery residency in the U.S., I was immediately kind of enamored by this thing called a robot. And I ended up doing my fellowship in colorectal surgery and stayed on as faculty at the program that I trained in. And I felt like this device, this robot, was actually going to be the future of uh, of surgery. And I just was really more enamored of the tech and also. Uh, preserving my own back and my own knees. And um, what I found was that during that process of me transitioning from laparoscopy and hand-assisted open surgery over to robotics, it was completely chaotic, completely haphazard, and without any guidance whatsoever. And um, um, being the person that I am, as I was going through this process, I began to kind of mentally think, how could I make someone else's learning curve a little bit easier. And at the time, I was actually also uh, the associate program director, and then I became the program director for our minimally invasive surgical fellowship in Orlando here. And I began to get a lot more um, uh, involved in nationally teaching how to do robotic surgery in terms of uh, uh, going to different courses and whatnot. And I think that was really prompted by me starting to publicly share what not to do, and publicly share what I learned should should be done by way of YouTube, by way of Facebook, and by way of Twitter, now called X. And uh, so that's kind of the progress that that I took to basically share my best uh, learnings and share my worst learnings as well along the path. Which is why you're on the podcast, because I noticed that people, surgeons find it very difficult to talk about when things go wrong or not quite as it should do. So let's call it near misses. And um, you, you, you can actually learn a lot from that. So I noticed that um, you wrote about this uh, in one of the SAGE's manuals about colorectal surgery. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because it's relevant to the national picture that you've helped to develop. Yeah, that's, uh, thank you for, uh, for bringing that up. You know, I think that we have the tendency in surgery to want to always look perfect, to always look like uh, we're refined, <laughs> to, to always want to come off as if we figured out we have zero complications. 
and especially as it pertains to innovation and pushing the envelope, we're very often reserved about, number one, admitting when we failed, more importantly, allowing other people to coach us up and to learn. Um, and so a lot of the work that we've done has not only been about um, moving ourselves into the next field of, or the next kind of chapter of minimally invasive surgery, but also how do we, uh, from a didactic perspective, how do we then translate that to the next? And part of it is how, how do we segment the operations into digestible steps, which is what we discussed in, in the SAGES manual? How do you take each step of an operation and talk about the sub-steps that if one approach works, or sorry, if one approach doesn't work, what approach could you then go and to, to uh, allow that to work? So, for example, doing an IMA pedicle takedown for a low anterior section. This is the approach. But if that approach fails and you can't find the order, do the same thing, but go from this direction or from that direction. Go lateral, go medial, go, go superior, go inferior. So talking through those nuances are critically important, which contributes to a lot of the work and the brain trust that we have. Interesting. You mentioned uh, uh, looking for anatomy is one of the things. So you know, all this, the specific structures which you don't want to damage. So um, uh, have you been on any things where you train people in pelvic surgery with the urologist, for example, have you done anything like that? Um, to the extent that, yes. So what I've done in my new life, as, as you will, with um, uh, in this uh, job at Advent Health, and I'm the chief of the system now, so I have a big kind of um, uh, responsibility across the state of Florida. Uh, what we do now is we actually put regular training courses on. And some of those training courses are going to be, they're multidisciplinary. So I have multidisciplinary pelvic floor uh, surgical um, conferences and multidisciplinary pelvic floor surgical courses that we'll put on. Yeah. Similarly, we'll do the same thing for a lateral pelvic lymph node dissection. Uh, and we will have some of those with urology or with uh, urogynecology um, or with hepat uh, HPV surgeons or transplant surgeons. We'll do a lot of these courses that have some crossover, uh, but certainly help us learn. What we find is probably the most important thing is, of course, using the patient as an anatomy guide, seeing what beautiful anatomy looks like and what weird anatomy looks like. Uh, <laughs> and what we also do is, um, you know, we were talking earlier about Surge on this app that, that uh, I've um, been had the blessing to kind of be a part of and develop is we have this open model where we're, we have urologists conversing with thoracic surgeons, con conversing with bariatric surgeons. We're kind of in this open environment and we're sharing best practices across specialty, which did not, what you would not otherwise think that I could learn something from a bariatric surgeon, but I can learn a lot from a bariatric surgeon or urologist in the example that you gave. Yeah, absolutely. And yet you're doing a fine job with, with that as well, that work. Um, so when you, when you, um, uh, You've obviously been on your journey and um, we are staying in the present, but sometimes it's nice to know about some of the doyens of your specialty. And um, anybody really, you know, who was somebody you looked up to and thought, right, I like what this person's doing in the world of colorectal surgery. Is there, is there anybody in mind or are you not allowed to say any names in case you upset somebody else? Well, certainly. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we are all built upon those that kind of brought us in the, in the world of surgery. There's numerous people, uh, those that have published manuscripts that are standing on podiums. I mean, there's there's numerous people that you look at and you want to just be like them or be a portion of them or take this little bit of the mentorship or the sponsorship that they've given you and take it to the next level um, and, and constantly iterating upon what other people have done. So 
plenty of people on social media where we understand and learn how they edit video or how they speak on a podium or how they edit a manuscript or how they lead a division. So, I mean, I think that if I were to mention one person, it would, it would, um, it would, uh, it would not do justice to the 99 others that have actually put me <laughs> on the path of success. I feel. Okay. I, the, the, you've, you've dodged that bullet. I agree. There's, there's always, there's so many teachers. I, I, I was going to say you, you must learn from, your residents who come in as well, right? Because they, if they've been to other places, so you can pretty much learn from anyone, right? Would you agree? Absolutely, with that? yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I found that the, the two biggest teachers um, of, of 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 for me are definitely my trainees that come in. We have six fellows uh, per year, uh, and of course, my colleagues that I surround myself with. And whether I'm surrounded by my colleagues in a physical environment like the hospital that I'm in right now. Or if it's a social uh, environment that we're constantly conversing. So for the first group, the fellows that come in, exactly to your point, Atendra, that when they do come in, they have disparate and very heterogeneous experiences throughout all the entire United States or even abroad. They bring a special spin, a special flavor on a, a specific technique or an approach or verbiage that they use when they discuss um, uh, certain diagnoses with patients. So the fellows and residents that we work with are absolutely a, a wealth of knowledge. And, and, and I, I share this all the time, like some of the fellows, I had one fellow last year who I credit with refining the way in which I suture robotically. The way she came in and the way she did one thing that she picked up from a hernia surgeon in her residency, I've adopted now and, and made it my own. Similar uh, aspect is when I look at videos and watch them on on, on Facebook, on YouTube, or or, or or Surge on whatever it is. I mean, you see many people sharing their best and worst practices, and that's a massive thing that we can learn from how to improve. Yeah. So, so tell me, thanks, Mike. That's very honest and um, helpful to the people listening. Um, so, just tell me when you are um, thinking about the next major complex surgery you do which is probably tomorrow morning or today um do you what would you do what what advice would you give to people about how you pre-plan that pelvic operation let's call it pelvic just for argument's sake yeah that's a good one so yesterday i had two of these in fact so my major days are yesterday and and uh had a contingent of surgeons that flew in to watch me do the case watch me do the, the robotic operation first one was a horribly complex, um, advanced mid-rectal cancer that had uh, progressed on TNT or total new adjuvant therapy. So what we do know nowadays is that the biology of cancers are just, we end up operating on the worst of the worst biologies. So sure enough, I mean, so this case that we did yesterday was, uh, it was uh, locally invasive into the, 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 um, into the pre-cycle venous plexus, uh, there was a lot of work that we had to do to kind of get this done robotically. So in the planning process, it's all about review of imaging. I do a lot of kind of conceptual 3D modeling in my own head of how I'm going to get around this, making sure that if that's the point at which right at that sacral curvature, if that's where it's going to be stuck, I'm going to conceptually kind of go lateral, I'm going to go distal, go lateral again, so I can target it right at the midpoint. So I know exactly how to manage that. So a lot of it's 3D conceptualization, 3D remodeling, if you will, in my own head. 
um, by using the adjuncts of imaging. And that's incredibly helpful. That plus, of course, correlating it to the endoscopic imaging that I that I know and and um and to the radiographic imaging and the progression that occurred for that patient. So that's that's the prep work that I oftentimes do in addition to watching how other surgeons navigated a similar problem and and opening up to the larger brain trust that is surgery. So asking people advice, how would you do this or how would you manage manage that and so on. Can I ask you, if you're teaching your residents and you 3D conceptualize in your brain, how do you get that information across to the resident? Uh, I'll bet this is not a training operation you're doing, obviously, but you're still describing things to the people watching. So how how would you get that across, that 3D model in your head? Yeah, it's... uh... The adjuncts that I use for exactly that point, now again, we don't have the capabilities uh, like on, on the ready to just 3D reconstruct an MRI, for example. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it's just, let's we do a pre-op huddle in which we'll sit there, we're gonna review images or in our MDT, we're gonna talk about things. And oftentimes we'll say, okay, I think we're gonna, what we're gonna end up doing is, I know I'm gonna show you in 2D, but I'm gonna target it from the, from the inferior edge first, we're going to track our way back up. So really just kind of doing a pre-operative huddle. And oftentimes yeah. now because of the beauty of robotics, we'll just both sit back with a dual console. We'll stop. We'll come back. And using my hands and fists and a series of pens and markers, just <laughs> I think this yeah. is what we're going to end up doing next. Um, and so a lot of it's just conversation and looking at my fellows as colleagues because you know, they're, they're, if they weren't with me for the year, they would be next door as a faculty member. Yeah. Yeah. You're far too nice a guy, Mark, to use your fists. I'm sure I don't believe that. But. <laughs> uh, let's, so, so let's let's move on uh, a little bit. Um, uh, obviously, you, you do lots of teaching, lots of demonstrating. Um, what sort of training or what sort of things do you do to continually keep your skills up? to allow you to be the great communicator you are, um, you know, and the great sort of visionary that you are? What do you, what do you use to help you stay on track and stay at that level? Well, I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the compliment. Uh, I think that, I think there's two major buckets there. <clears throat> the first bucket in terms of the technical refinement is 100% video review. Um, no, until today, I've done close to a thousand robotic colorectal operations, and uh, I've watched every single one of those videos. Now, not in single speed; I'll sometimes watch them in thirty times speed. But the point is, I'm constantly looking at what I did in that one operation, reflecting on the performance that I did in that operation, seeing how other surgeons handled that exact same part or process of the operation. And then conceptualizing what I'm going to do better the next time around. That cycle, having a concrete experience in operation, reflecting on that experience, watching how others do that one event, and then coming up with a new plan, that four-step process there is actually grounded in learning theory called Kolb's experiential learning process. That's four-cycle step. And I found that that's what I do. I do it on every single operation. I watch, I figure out, I conceptualize, I, I, I study what other people are doing. And I feel like that's exactly what I end up doing on every single operation to iteratively improve 
my technical outcomes for the very next operation. First part. Okay. The second part, Tendra, as you mentioned, talking about the communication. I think the communication, it's uh, I'm married. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a daily lesson of uh, how to communicate, but I'm also, I'm also, um, I have the blessings of leading an amazing team in, 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 in Orlando and, and in broader Florida. And I fail daily at, um, at uh, communicating well what I think. And so every single day, I'm reflecting on how I can improve the next time and the next time and the next time. Uh, and I hope that I fail a little bit less tomorrow and, and then the day after that. And so that is a constant battle and a constant um, urge and desire to want to become a better, yes, communicator, but a better leader and a better um, uh, and a better visionary for the, the people that I'm able to serve. Wow. You're very humble and lots of humility and that process of reflection that you just described, the two-bucket technique, we'll call it, shall we, Dr. Solomon? There you go. <laughs> um, so that, that's great. It's great advice. And, and as I said, people don't like to ask for this advice. So uh, as surgeons, as we just said right at the beginning, so it's really great what you're saying, actually. It's very helpful uh, to people who are young and old. I think everybody can learn something new and improve what they're doing. So it's great to hear that you're doing that on a regular basis. Now, if you, so I imagine um, uh, you're in the OR and uh, you, you've, everything looks well that day. The planning's gone well. You know, your communication skills are the best they can be and you're, you're having a great day and you're, you're in the middle of an operation. Have you ever come across a surgery where you thought, you know what, they really need to make this tool that's going to help me make my robotic operation even better? Well, if that, if you had that, ability to buy something like that what might it be or what might you ask for on a wish list that's a fantastic question i mean yeah you know it's that, like it's like desert island discs you know it's what do you take on a desert island that you love so this is a bit like what what's going to get you out of a scrape you know and i i ask all the surgeons this because we're the innovator aren't we because we're using these these technologies and we're the early adopters and you know so it, 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 there may not be anything. You may have the perfect setup. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think this is this is a common thing that I think through. Every every problem that we have in an operating room requires a solution of some sort. And the reality is nowadays we're solving problems in the operating room with with blunt force, with brute force, whether we're burning it, cutting it. Um, uh, or stapling it. Some form or function, we're beating the tissue into submission. And we're oftentimes relying upon our own two eyes and white or sometimes um, near um, uh, fluorescence imaging light to make a decision. And so truly what I feel like the biggest gap in our knowledge is the next step. I don't think the next step is going to be a better widget or a better stitch or a better needle driver, a better you know, instrument. I think actually where we're going to end up making um, massive strides, like a, not just an incremental, but a stepwise progression, like a, a whole generational leap uh, in surgery is not going to be in the mechanics of surgery. Well, in fact, actually be in the augmented decision-making during surgery. What structure is that? Where's that nerve? Should I cut this? Should I go there? I think 
decision-based analytics and and we call it computer vision, you can call it AI since that's kind of a hot topic. Mm -hmm. I think that's the next actual advance in the um in, in the decisions that we're able to make during surgery. So, so you you were lovely, beautifully dovetailed into AI and the future of this technology. So is AI going to take over where we are currently at as surgeons? Is it the future surgeon? Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, uh, the day that AI can manage a gunshot wound to her, that'll be um, chat GPT would love something big that day. No, okay. but I do, think, I do certainly think that um, there's a place for AI. There's a place for medication. There's a place for chemo. And I think that um, as we see here in the United States, I'm sure you're seeing it abroad. Take, for example, our rectal cancer numbers. Over the past couple of years, because of TNT and because of just more proper um, staging protocols and more proper neoadjuvant treatment measures, our rectal cancer operative numbers have plummeted. I mean, right now, I'm probably doing less than 25% volume than I was doing before before the pandemic, for example. That's not because we're better doctors, it's just because we're, we're our, our, our decision-making is a little bit better. So using that example, and same thing with biologics and, and as it pertains to iliopouch surgery, we've almost eliminated the need for pouch surgery. In fact, I just got word that our fellows, they used to require five pouches a year, they went down to three pouches, and now they're gonna go to two pouches annually, simply because the volumes are going down because the biologic efficacy is going up. So I, I I think in a similar fashion, AI will not replace us, but will allow us to be augmented to make better decisions. And I, I do hope that in 50, 60, or 200, or 500 years, our great, great, great grandchildren may actually question why we ever cut people open to fix them, as opposed to just give them the, the whatever treatment that um, this other you know, AI long, long you know, um, uh, sentient being actually was able to come up with. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. More personalized care is certainly changing the yeah. way we do things, right? So, 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 you, so if we, um, uh, I mean, you are a technologist, right? As well as being a surgeon, I mean, you, you, you are involved in the area. Do you think that's an age thing? I'm not being ageist, right? But <laughs> no, no, no. Do I think, think that's fair. You know what yeah. I mean, right? Do you, do you think it's a, you know, like Gen, Gen Z versus, you yeah. know, et cetera. Do you think it's that? Or do you just think surgeons who are interested in robotics tend to, what are interested in technology and these sort of things? What, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, it's a good question. And I, and I do think that you're going to, you're going to have surgeons that use their, their personal interests and bubble them up during surgery, whether that's a very analog type surgeon or whether it's a digitally minded surgeon, I think you're gonna see the crossover, but the strengths of a surgeon outside of the operating room is what she demonstrates in the operating room. And I think that's important. And I know for me personally, I was born in 1980. So I'm very much, uh, I'm a zenial, as they say, I, I will not, I'm not a millennial. And, I'm not, and I, I, I align myself in terms of work ethic with Jen's, uh, uh, with um, yeah. with Gen X, but like so, but Mark, I guess I'm a millennial. 
I was just going to say that's the lost tribe that one 1980. You know? Exactly. So like, I'm <laughs> smack in the middle. So I, I, we, we, we joke and argue about this all the time. I was like, you know, I, I have the work ethic of a of 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 somebody from like a like yeah, I have a pretty intense work ethic, but I'm very digitally minded, and so I think that that certainly helps me as I'm thinking through new processes. Lean Six Sigma analysis and how do you improve operative operative efficiencies? How do you how do you do certain things both on a technical technical perspective or an analog perspective? And yeah. I do credit a lot of my interests and and just um, uh, who I am. And I but I do think that surgery calls those people that are very technically minded and uh, both from a physical perspective but also a technological perspective as well. Yeah. Wow, that's your superpower, right? Born in 1980. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> yeah, right. You need to change your name, Mark 1980. You know, and Mark 80. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There we go. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's I, I'm because um, I look at I look at the residents now, and they manage everything that's app related. You know, we talked about apps at the beginning, and they just have a natural affinity. Uh, but, and, but the technology, the robot. I mean, I help build one of the robots that's out in the market now. And one of the things that we did, the older surgeon helped develop, the younger people seem to be just going, well, that's that's not going to work very well. We need to be doing it in a slightly different way. And uh, it's incredible um, uh, where they are at the minute. Even my 18-year-old kid showed me how to, you know, do something on an app. I can show him how to change a tire on my car and he can show him how to fix an app. There we go. So... Anyway, I digress. Um, so let me let's just move on, if you don't mind. Um, we've talked a lot about surgery, a lot about robotics, a lot about technology, um, and about your journey. But one thing that we haven't talked about, Mark, is when you're not working with that superb work ethic, how do you look after yourself? And how do you? I'm not going to say relax. How do you look after yourself? Yeah, good question. I'm working on that daily. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, um, I have to have a lot of intentionality and have a lot, I have to have a structure in my life. And my worst days are the days that I don't have stuff scheduled. Mm. So for me, every morning, I'm up 4.30 a.m. I built a gym in my garage. So I'm in the gym by 5 a.m. Um, I'm showering by 6 and, and kind of moving on with my day. So I take care of myself by um, physically. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the gym six days a week, basically. Yeah. Um, as it pertains to just other things in life, I mean, uh, you know, I'm a, an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly lucky man to be married to my wife and have two beautiful kill children that kill me on, uh, kill me every single day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're, they're great. So, I mean, they keep me grounded in everything that I do, but in terms of relaxation, I mean, the le less is better for me in terms of, uh, what I do, because I get, I do so much at work and so much in terms of uh, my my other stuff that I do, so for me, relaxation is is a is something I cherish. Wow, beautiful! So yeah, you get you're getting your balance in your day by getting up early. That's fantastic. Well, well, Mark, um, it's been an absolute pleasure, um, a real honour to talk to you today. Um, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just to finally let you know that uh, we had a wonderful Dr. Mark Solomon a robotic colorectal surgeon from Advent Health down in Orlando, Florida. Mark, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Global Robotic Assisted Surgery Podcast, or GRASP for short. 
please subscribe to be updated with all of our new podcasts coming out. If you would like to learn more about robotic assisted surgery, please go to www.roboticsurgerypodcast.com.